Welcome in to Two Guys, One Mike, a college football podcast dedicated to providing you with all the college football stories, game previews, game reviews, and betting lines. I'm your host, Jacob Wilson, as always, joined by my fellow host, JT Urshowski. JT, how's it going, man? I'm doing all right, man. Doing all right. Uh, it's a good weekend. We had a great party last night. We had a lot of fun. Um, I got to watch football. I got to watch a lot of the noon games. I watched a lot of the 3.30 games. Um, I don't I don't really remember much from the 7 p.m. and on games, but um, obviously we'll do our best to, to kind of recap what happened this week. Yeah, it was a great weekend of college football. Uh, last weekend was a great weekend, and it was followed up by another one this week, and a lot of big games, some upsets here, a lot of high-scoring shootouts, and really just big games across the board. So I said we get right to it, and there's really no better place to start than the game that was last night, a game that had some hype coming into it, and it was Notre Dame versus Clemson, and it definitely had hype coming into it, a lot a lot to do with Trevor Lawrence not being there, and just the prospect of him not being there, you know, making it feel like Notre Dame had a much better shot to win this game, but I'll tell you what, Trevor Lawrence or not, I think Notre Dame would have had a really good shot to win this game because uh, DJ, not even going to attempt his last name yet. I'm starting to get there, almost in confidence to start doing it, but but not just yet, maybe next week's pod. I'm um, starting to hear it enough to get good at it, but he went 29 of 44 for 439 yards, uh, two touchdowns and zero interceptions. I think he actually threw for more yards in this game than Trevor Lawrence ever has in a single game before. The guy has an absolute rocket. He He can sling the rock makes good decisions. He's pretty smart with it. Sure, Trevor Lawrence probably still would have been a bit better, and maybe especially in the big moments, he would have made some bigger plays, but DJ played really well. Um, it really felt like Notre Dame's offense was centered around stop, or defense was, stop, was centered around stopping Travis Etienne, and that worked. He only goes for 28 yards, but really when you look at Notre Dame, Ian Book, on the other hand, is his stats don't look amazing, but he made the plays in the big moments late in this game, especially in overtime. He had some big throws, had some really big throws on the drive that led this game to OT. Clemson was up 33-27 late in this game. Looked like they were going to find a way to pull it out after starting the game down 10-0 at one point. And Notre Dame comes back. Ian Book leads that drive all game. He was making big throws. And like I said, to kind of start off everything, I I think what was a more most amazing about this game for Notre Dame is I think Trevor Lawrence or not, they could have won this game. They looked really good. A team that we always talk about is, you know, they have to get this offense together if they want to be a national championship uh, contender. And it looks like they finally got it there. Ian Book, and maybe it's just one game, but this offense has been kind of thriving the past three or four weeks. And now we finally saw it against a good defense, and we finally saw them do it again against a good defense. We finally see Ian Book rise up in a big game and make big throws. So this has to be really, really encouraging if you're a Notre Dame fan. Absolutely. Um, look, I don't think anyone's making the argument that Clemson is any somehow worse when Trevor Lawrence is as the QB or if he would have played in this game. But I think the argument is, is that it's not like they had a, a massive drop off. Uh, DJ played amazing in this game. You, you, you bounce off the stats, you know, 439 yards, two touchdowns, you know, no picks, you know, never put his team in any bad situation. I mean, he had a phenomenal game. But for a true freshman to do that against what we had talked about as a really stout Notre Dame defense on the road in the second start, I think he deserves the credit. And look, it's a lot of times it's really tough to to throw the football downfield when you don't have a running game to complement that. You know, we talked about Joe Milton's really good game against Minnesota. You know, part of the reason that that was such a good game was that he had such a good running game to complement that, that the throws were a lot easier. They couldn't get Travis Etienne going in this game at all. Only 18 of 
only 18, only 28 yards on 18 attempts. And the, the team as a whole ran for 34 yards as a total. Clemson did. So I think and maybe that was, I think, like you said, that was what Notre Dame came into this game thinking, you know, let's, if we're going to lose this game, it's going to be because the freshman quarterback beat us. And the freshman quarterback almost did. So Craig DJ, he played really well. But this is about Notre Dame, you know, especially about their offense. You know, we had talked about Notre Dame's offense struggling. Don't forget, this was an offense that just a couple weeks ago only scored 12 points against Louisville. And, yes, it took them a while to get going. But I tell you, once they started to get going, it started in that pit game when they put up 45 in that game. This offense is all of a sudden really starting to click and a really balanced attack against Clemson. This game, Clemson, they ran for 209 yards, passed for 310. I think you and I can agree that Notre Dame's issue when it comes to competing against teams at the elite level hasn't been their defense. Their defense has been okay. It's that they just get they just get overwhelmed when the, their offense just gets overwhelmed, especially in the offensive line. Uh, at, at the line of scrimmage uh, against these elite defenses of these other teams. And Notre Dame moved the ball really well. Ian Book looked great. And they were, I would say, the better team in this game. They outgained Clemson. You know, they didn't have any, you know, it, Clemson didn't really turn the ball over, so they didn't have any short fields to work with. It was just that they put together drives one more time than Clemson did. And, you know, and you talked about the last drive of the game. They had to go down and, and score a touchdown to, to win it. And I love – I love the fact that they didn't go for two, that they trusted that their team could, could win down the line in overtime. And so they didn't go for two at the end of the game. They didn't go for two at the end of the first overtime. They trusted that their team could get a stop, and they did in the last, you know, in the last overtime and the second overtime for Clemson. They got those two sacks on first and second down, and then Clemson just couldn't find a way to, to connect any passes on third and fourth down. So a great win for Notre Dame. And I think it's important to, to point out that – they were the better team on a day when Clemson really didn't have a drop-off from the quarterback position. That's not to say that when Trevor Lawrence comes back that, you know, Clemson is going to be anyhow worse. They'll definitely be better. But it's not like, like I, just like I said, there wasn't a, mass, there wasn't a massive drop-off from that quarterback position. And when you talk about Notre Dame, because I, I, think, I think you and I agree, and I think everyone agrees that these two teams are going to play again in the ACC championship game. And, you know, not to project too much forward and, you know, into that and, you know, stop talking about this game. But when you talk about being able to compete in that compete against Clemson, you know, in the ACC championship game, you know, you love what you saw. You love what you saw if you were a Notre Dame fan because your team moved the ball and you shut down their running game. And those are the two things that will translate when you play them again in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if these two teams play each other again, Trevor Lawrence comes back. It doesn't make me think, you know, Clemson's going to just go ahead and blow Notre Dame out. You never know it's possible. But, but yeah, we definitely did not see a drop-off from DJ. Like I said, he, I think he put up better numbers than Trevor Lawrence has, ever has in terms of yardage, which is kind of wild to me. And at least I saw that stat on the internet, so it makes it true. But, yeah, so, I mean, you didn't see that drop-off. And if these two teams do play again, it's, it's going to be a really good game, in my opinion, Trevor Lawrence or not. And you kind of touched on the fact that, Notre Dame, their offense has been holding them back. And I think a really good equivalent to Notre Dame on the national level is Georgia and how their offense over the past four or five years or even plus has held them back. And we saw that again in this game. I know that was a smooth transition, but Florida 44, Georgia 28. Uh, Georgia's offense completely holds them back here. And this game went exactly how me and you predicted it. We both took uh, Florida plus three or plus four and a half whenever you got it here. And we both said, you know, we like Georgia's defense, but a well-executed offense always beats a well-executed defense in 2020. And that's why in 2020, it's so important to have a good offense because it doesn't matter how good your defense is if you're playing a good team. And that's why we always see 
in the college football playoff in big games, they always feel like they're high scoring games because you always, you're going to have two good offenses and offenses almost always beat defenses, you know, the majority of the time. So Georgia needed to have a elite offense, one that could keep up with Florida's and we didn't see that happening and it didn't happen here. Kyle Trask was 30 of 43 for 474 yards and four touchdowns when Stetson Bennett was five of 16 and for 78 yards and Dewan Mathis was four of 13 for 34 yards. And we've talked about Georgia at the QB position and how it's holding them back. And it continues to hold them back. Their offense in general continues to hold them back. And that was pretty much everything we saw here. Yeah. Um, You know, it's not common that we get a prediction right on this podcast, but we pretty much nailed this game to a T. And we really said that the difference between these two games was that Florida had such an advantage at the quarterback position. And it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, Kyle Trask went 30 of 43 for 474 yards against this Georgia defense. It really only made one mistake, and that was the pick six. And, and then you look at, you look at the opposite side, Stenson Bennett, you mentioned 5 of 16, you know, Dwayne Mathis, 4 of 13 for 34 yards. The Georgia team as a whole, the Georgia quarterbacks as a whole, threw the ball 29 times, and the balls were caught by players. 12 times, but the problem was is that only nine of those 12 were completions to their own team. They threw three picks, some of those in bad situations. And, and look, I know maybe people see 28 and thought, you know, okay, well, Georgia's offense kind of, you know, played well. They didn't. They had a pick six in the second quarter, and they had they had one good – they put together two good drives for two touchdowns. They had one big 75-yard run and one pick six. Other than that, the Georgia offense just didn't do anything. It never felt like their offense was going to be dynamic enough for them to get back in this game. What's crazy is that Florida only scored six points in the second half, and this game still was never close. They just had such an explosion in the second quarter, scored 24 points, and they just moved the ball at will. felt like Georgia could do absolutely nothing to stop them. And Florida goes for 571 total yards to Georgia's 277. I mean, that's the story of the game. Florida outgains them by 300 yards. In my opinion, Florida won by 16, and it probably shouldn't have even been that close. Yeah, yeah, a few late touchdowns for Georgia to make it even look even a little bit better. And, yeah, the yardage tell the story. Florida absolutely dominated this game. And it's November 8th at 6.50 p.m., and I think we're finally ready for a college football playoff discussion. It is shaping up to be crazy, my friends. We have Alabama, Notre Dame at 2, Ohio State at 3, Clemson at 4 in the AP, Texas A&M at 5, Florida at six, Cincy at seven, and BYU at eight. I mean, things are shaping up to get wild here. We have Clemson with a loss. Notre Dame gets this big win. You know, what happens if Notre Dame loses that game? What happens if Notre Dame barely beats that game against, barely beats Clemson that game? Uh, What happens if Florida wins out and beats Alabama? And both those teams have a loss, but Florida's beaten Alabama head-to-head, and they have an SEC title. What happens if Texas A&M wins out but doesn't make it to the SEC championship game because of their loss to Alabama? What happens if Cincinnati or BYU, who look really, really strong, win out? Uh, what happens if Ohio State loses a game but still wins the, you know, the Big Ten? Or what happens if they lose the Big Ten championship game? Or what happens if, you know, there's just so many different scenarios and it looks like it's shaping up to be six, seven, eight really good candidates to get one of these four spots and. You know, the college football playoff, in my opinion, has had it pretty easy through their first six years. Yeah, there's been some tough decisions here and there. And I know every year it feels like we always say it's shaping up to be really tough for them. But this year, I really feel like this is the year where we're going to have a bunch of teams that deserve to be in. And there's going to be a couple teams that get left out. 
it really does feel, especially with the COVID season and these teams only playing conference-only schedules, it just this does feel like this would have been such a perfect year for the for it to go to eight, even if it was just for this year to go to eight, and then you go back to four the next year. I'm I'm sad that the cultural playoff committee rejected that idea so early and committed to staying to four. Because you're right, this is setting up to be a really interesting situation. You know what happens if you know Clemson beats Notre Dame in the ACC championship game, and so you're sitting there with Clemson's probably got to be in because they're a champion. And you know what if you have a scenario like where Ohio State runs the table, you know, but they lose the Big Ten championship game, and then you have you know, Florida beats Alabama, but Alabama's looked like the most prolific team, and that's a really close game. And then Clemson beats Notre Dame, so each of those teams have one losses. And then, you know, and you and some of these teams will probably, you know, knock their way out. But this is really gearing up to be a year where it feels like you have potentially five, six, seven teams that all have a legitimate shout at making the playoffs, and, and rightfully so. And you're probably going to have – it's looking like we're going to have two group of five teams – you know, be undefeated in Cincinnati and BYU. And what happens if Coastal Carolina goes undefeated? Of course, Coastal Carolina and the Sun Belt probably won't get in. But, you know, I think these just these group of five undefeated teams deserve a shot. And and just with, with this conference-only schedule, it just, it's very confusing. And it's, it's really shaping up to be a very hectic year. And, and we just don't know how it's going to go. And I just, you know, I wonder and I worry. I, I worry that, you know, is four teams going to be enough this year? Because I think just with conference-only schedule – you just you don't have enough data points of separation to really be able to to differentiate and dissect between all of these different teams and all these different conferences and you know this could be a year where it gets really ugly and the playoff has committee has a, a really tough decision to make and you know it could be a decision that if if a lot of people don't agree with could have lasting ramifications to how the postseason in college football is handled moving forward yeah it's going to be a fascinating year so i have one more scoreline for you one more storyline before we maybe maybe two more storylines before we kind of, you know, kick the rust off and just kind of run through some, some games here and some storylines. But one more big storyline from the weekend has to be Indiana 38, Michigan 21. And we thought Michigan would bounce back in this game. We thought Indiana, who's been beat, who was outgained uh, by more than double against Penn State. And we've seen how Penn State's look. They're 0-3. We'll talk about that at some point. <clears throat> we thought this was a, you know, a, a game Michigan would bounce back and, start to look better, but it's starting to look like all the results are going against them. You know, Minnesota has been really poor. They had a decent week this week against, uh, you know, Illinois, but that's not really a big deal. So they, they beat Minnesota, who we thought was going to be good, but they didn't really shape up to be that good. And they lose to Michigan State last week, who gets just killed this week by Iowa, who Iowa was 0-2, lost to some bad teams. And now you're losing to Indiana. It wasn't even a close game. So all of a sudden Michigan goes from looking really good and we thought that they were going to be a pretty good football team this year and no one was crowning them or anything like that, but we thought they were going to be competent. We thought they were going to be pretty solid. And then, wow, you're getting blown out against Indiana and it wasn't even that close. And yeah, I mean, obviously I want to talk a little bit about Indiana, give them their credit. They're actually in the top 10 in the AP poll, which is really exciting for them, but Michigan and Jim Harbaugh, I mean, Jim Harbaugh is a couple losses away from, from this being it. Is, is Jim Harbaugh on his last year of his contract? I think he has one more year after this. Okay, that's what I thought too, but someone disagreed with me today. But that's not what we're talking about right now. What we're talking about is that is I think, I think the reality is, is just Michigan is not a good football team. You know, I think they beat up on a, on a Minnesota team that's having a down year this year, and everyone kind of thought, you know, that was a good win based on what Minnesota did last year. But, you know, and, and since the two weeks they lost to a Michigan State team, a, a Michigan State team, that look, I, I'm not very big into, you know, 
this team beat that team and that beat, beat that team by that much. I, I think with college football, you just can't do that. But when you have two results such as Michigan losing to Michigan State and then the very next week that same Michigan State team loses to a, a winless Iowa team, previously winless Iowa team, 49-7. to And that game was never close, a complete blowout. And, and a Michigan State team that looked – completely that looked great on offense last week against Michigan looked completely lost against Iowa and so I think just the reality of the situation is is Michigan just not a good football team and I think that's just the reality of 2020 Joe Milton is not an accurate passer he's got a terrific arm but he has just struggled with accuracy they don't win the line of scrimmage they have no dynamic playmakers on offense except maybe Ronnie Bell maybe Ronnie Bell at the receiver position but they have no difference makers you know, at running back. And then look, their secondary is just young. It's inexperienced and they get, they just continue to get torched and they got torched in this game. And it was just, it was just bad. It was just a bad game for Michigan all around bad coaching even as well. I mean, they jumped off sides maybe seven, eight times uh, in this game. It was just, it was just bad all around. And look, Indiana deserves their credit. We talked about them being a dark horse coming into the season. I think even you and I, you know, but I think even even though they were dark horses, even you and I didn't expect them to be quite this good uh, so far to start the season. But but give Indiana their credit. This is a team that's been building for a while under Tom Allen, and they played amazing this game. They played fantastic. But you just can't look away from this game, and the takeaway just has to be it's just not there for Michigan anymore. And now there's some serious questions to to truly try and answer. Is is Jim Harbaugh the guy? Is he really the answer? You know moving forward in this Michigan program. I just, I don't think he is anymore. Uh, but then also the question is, is can Michigan find anyone better than Jim Harbaugh to take over at this position and be successful? It's just, it feels like a very lost situation for Michigan right now for Michigan football fans. And I say that with pure glee as an Ohio State fan, but I'm trying to be objective in that. Just, I just don't think that this is good enough for Michigan. You know, it's been good enough in the past, but now, with last year, remember last year they started in the top 10, maybe top five, and ended that season, I think, nine and three or nine and four after a bowl game. And now one and two probably is going to be an underdog against Wisconsin next week. I don't think they win that game. It's just, where is this Michigan program moving forward? I just don't feel like this program is elevating the way that Ryan Day has elevated Ohio State. So I just, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we always say Jim Harbaugh is the guy to get you to eight and four, nine and three, but. Now we're seeing a year where it might be a lot worse than that. We might see three and five. So, and especially with only one year left on his contract, everything feels like it's shaping up to maybe be Jim Harbaugh being released at the end of this year. But you never, you never know. Good cultures, good coaches, good teams find a way to bounce back. But they really do have to. I mean, they have to win some of these games. They play. I mean, none of these games are easy. We just saw what Maryland did to Penn State. We still know the the talent that's on Penn State's roster. Rutgers is a much better football team. Uh, we'll see if the game this week goes ahead against versus Wisconsin. If it does, then I, I see them struggling, although Wisconsin will be a bit rusty. And then obviously Ohio State, which anything can happen in the game, but you would assume Ohio State's going to win that game pretty easily. And you can easily see a three and five schedule here. And if that's the case, I just don't see how you can hold on to Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I don't know either. You don't, you don't pay a college football coach over $7 million a year to be three and five. And, you know, people want to make their argument that money shouldn't matter, but, but it does. If you're going to be paid the same amount that Dabo pay, gets paid by Clemson or Nick Saban gets paid by Alabama, you should be as good as those programs. And that's something that 
you know, I will continue to fight people on, you know, I think money matters. And if you're going to make the amount of money that, that Nick Saban and Dabo make, you should be having pretty similar results. And the fact is, is that Jim Harbaugh just doesn't deliver for the results for that, for the paycheck that he gets. And that's just always been my opinion on the situation. And I do think it matters. Maybe some others don't, but I do think it does. I think it matters. And so, and so Michigan really has to figure out what they're, where they want, where they truly think, you know, where, where they want the pro the future of this program, the direction of this program to go into the future. And they, they're going to take a really hard look and figure out if Jim Harbaugh is continuing to be at the helm for that future. Because if, if, if they decide that that he is, and that's what they want, there's nothing that has been shown to me or has convinced me that he is going to somehow figure it out or magically figure things out to turn this program around and get them to a national championship contender because he has shown me nothing in six years that that is the case. All right. So we have a lot of games to get through here. A lot of really good games this weekend, fun storylines left and right. Um, is there anything you have for Lost in the Madness? Give me one thing if you can. I think I have something. Okay. I just want to confirm that my math is right. Well, I guess the yards were even. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I will say Texas continues to just win games that I don't think they truly deserve to win. They didn't deserve to beat Texas Tech. They didn't deserve to go to overtime against Oklahoma. And they didn't deserve to beat Oklahoma State. And I think even this week, West Virginia was the better team. I think West Virginia on two separate occasions. I think their last two drives in the fourth quarter, down 17-13, both times they got in the red zone only to um, – to turn it over on downs in the red zone and, you know, not make it. I mean, West Virginia's red zone efficiency was one of five, one of five in this game, and they only lose by four. So I, maybe that's a credit. Good teams find a way to win to Texas, but and they find themselves at five and two. But it's amazing to me that Texas just continues to find ways to win games that I truly don't think that they deserve to win. Yeah, for me, it's it's got to be – it's crazy to think this isn't as big of a storyline as it as it is, but there's just so many good storylines this week and big games that it's kind of flown under the radar, at least in my opinion. Maybe I don't have a pulse on, on college football like, like I think I do, but Maryland 35, Penn State 19, and, I mean, wow, this just isn't really getting the national storylines or headlines, and it's just crazy. Penn State is 0-3. They lose to a Maryland team that maybe they're a bit better this year, but they're still not a good football team. Uh, we saw how they looked last week against Ohio State. They, they found a way to keep it close, but they really looked really bad in that game, to be honest. And actually, you know, when you look back on their Indiana win, it almost looks a little bit better. Their loss, obviously, it almost looks a little bit better considering they kept it uh, close against Indiana, who is, you know, shaping up to be a really good football team. But it's not like they played some world beater schedule here. Yeah, they played Ohio State, but they had a chance against Indiana and they played Maryland and they lost this game big time too, which is almost even more of a storyline. You know, maybe you lose this close and it's like, all right, you've lost two close games and you've lost Ohio State. It's time for your luck to turn around. But no, they lose this game big. They were down 35-7, get some late touchdowns to make it look better. And wow, Penn State 0-3. Yeah, wow. I think that's that's really the only word they would describe this game as well the first two weeks for Penn State fans were disappointing but I think you could you can make those understandable yes you lost in Indiana but you dominated that game you just had a couple bound bad bounces go against you you were never going to beat Ohio State it's the best team in the conference but this week just doesn't make sense and you know and you know I follow you and I follow a lot of sports betters and, and sharp betters on on social media and a trendy pick this week was was Penn State and the big reason was is that you know I don't want to be betting against uh, a pissed off 0-2 Penn State team. And that's what we 
we're expecting Penn State to be this week, a pissed-off team, 0-2. But now it's, they looked lifeless in this game. Maryland came this – Maryland was the team that came out with all the energy, you know, with the, with the drive and the passion to get forward – or not get forward, but I just came from a soccer game. But to take it to Penn State, take it at them at the line of scrimmage, you know, they, they, they blitzed they, – they, they got to Sean Clifford. They made him uncomfortable. You know, they took away his weapons. And this Penn State offense couldn't move. They couldn't run the ball. And then Maryland just gashed this Penn State secondary. And Penn State had a couple blown assignments in the secondary in the first half. And this, and then they, and then they had a fumble recovery turn for a touchdown. And Maryland just had the more energy in this game. They looked like the team that were 0-2 and pissed off. They looked like they wanted to win this game more. And if you're a Penn State fan, this has to be just super disappointing. This, this is a bad letdown. The first two weeks you could understand. You played better. We, we played better than Indiana. Ohio State's the best team in the conference. But this one is just, in my opinion, unexcusable to come out as flat as you did at home down 35 to seven to a Maryland team that just isn't good. I mean, this is a Maryland defense that had given up, you know, 43 points to Northwestern 45 to Minnesota. And then they really had only given up seven points against Penn state through three and a half quarters until Penn state got two junk time, junk, you know, junk time touchdowns. So it just, it's shocking. It's unbelievable. And I, I agree with you. I think it's not getting enough attention that it deserves because Maryland were just flat out the better team in this game. And uh, it, it was, it was really surprising. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a, uh, it was shocking to see that for sure. And yeah, I mean, it was just crazy to see them, see them get dominated by a team like Maryland, but let's get to the one game that wasn't part of the Saturday slate that, that I think deserves a mention. And that is, BYU 51, Boise State 17, and what a great win for BYU. This started out as like a pick em in Vegas uh, when the week started, you know, about, about a week ago when the betting markets opened up and was expected to be a really good game. And BYU from the offset was really dominant in this game. They controlled this game. They were always the better team on the road too. And what a win for them. Zach Wilson continues to show up 21 of 27 for uh, 300 plus yards and yeah, I mean, BYU is a really good football team. It's it's a shame there's the teams like Texas A&M and Florida this year that are really good and Cincinnati who are above them because any other year they might have a chance of getting into the playoff, and maybe they still do, but this is a really good football team that deserves a lot of credit. Absolutely. Uh, this is a great team win for them. I think I was a little – it was a little disappointing that, that Boise State's starting quarterback got knocked out so early in this game. And, but, look, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden that, you know, Boise State was lifeless. I mean, what, what BYU did on offense doesn't isn't, isn't impacted, obviously, by the Boise State quarterback going out. At the end of the day, this is just a good BYU football team. That's what it is. Uh, you know, you mentioned the stats in this game. You know, Zach Wilson went, you know, 21-27, 359 yards, two touchdowns. Team, as a team, they ran for 214, really balanced, moving, moving the ball you know, uh, through the air and on the ground. And then they just completely shut down Boise State's offense. Yes, Boise State's offense, Boise State's starting quarterback went out early in this game with an injury. But even since then, look, you still got to play with, with the other team that's on the field, and they completely just shut down Boise State's offense. And the only reason that Boise State got 17 points in this game was, was two, junk time two junk time touchdowns late in this game to kind of just make it close. But uh, this is an incredible performance from BYU. I think this team still isn't getting quite the respect that it deserves. Uh, look, this BYU team, BYU team is going to go undefeated. They only have two games left, which is pretty crazy. They played Northern Alabama 
on the 21st, and then they have another couple weeks off until they play San Diego State on the 12th. So, look, they're going to go undefeated, uh, but they're probably still not going to be able to make the playoffs just because the, just the lack of the strength of schedule and being an independent and no conference championship chain. But, look, if you're a BYU fan, you got to be really happy with this result. You know, they played extremely well in this game. They looked fantastic. They just beat the doors off Boise State. And you got a really good football team. And I, I wish that we could go to eight. I feel like this BYU team, I'd love to watch. I'd love to watch them play against Alabama. Even if they lose the game, I just love to see an undefeated BYU team deserve and have a chance at the playoff and to have a chance to compete for a national title. Because, I mean, look, it's just, just uh, this is just my personal opinion, but it's crazy to me that we can have a Division One football team in BYU go undefeated in their schedule and still not have an opportunity to play for the division one football national championship to me there's just something inherently wrong with that uh but let's just focus on the fact that BYU's got a fantastic football team played a great game uh and are still undefeated another undefeated non-power five team here uh Liberty 38 Virginia Tech 35 this was a a crazy game for sure there's some storylines from it but just the game itself was was wild uh kind of a back and forth game. The Liberty was always ahead in. They, they were pretty dominant in the game. They were always, always felt like they had a really good shot at winning this. Uh, Virginia Tech comes back late, gets a late touchdown. Um, and then Liberty is driving, try to get the game winning field goal. Game winning field goal actually gets blocked. Virginia Tech takes it back, runs it back for a touchdown. But it's called off because right before the play, Virginia Tech took a timeout. Uh, so it gets, it gets uh, taken off the board. There was actually eight seconds left and, Liberty lined up like they were going to throw a Hail Mary. So Virginia Tech defenders backed off. There was eight seconds left. It was fourth and six. And Liberty threw a quick eight-yard out route to the sideline. They ran the play in like three seconds, still five seconds on the clock, and they bang a 51-yard field goal in as the buzzer. The buzzer hits, and they win this game 38-35. And, and what a win for Liberty. And now they are 7-0 and and another undefeated team. And I believe they're up to 22 in the AP. And what a storyline this is with Hugh, Hugh Freeze, the coach, you know, the old, old, old Miss coach, and he's there now at Liberty. He's running a good offense, and his team's beaten two ACC teams. Uh, that's more than Coastal Carolina can say. They beat Virginia Tech, who we thought was a really good football team. They were 17-point underdogs in this game, and really good season for Liberty so far. Absolutely. Um, you know, their, their other game, they really only had one they had a couple of close games, but they've looked really good the past couple of weeks. And you're right, they beat Syracuse on the road by 17. I mean, that's a good win against a Power 5 opponent. And then, yeah, the upset last week against Virginia Tech. And I tell you, you got to feel for uh, the, the Virginia Tech head coach. I mean, that's just bad luck. You call a timeout and your team block and return for a field goal. Obviously, you're trying to freeze the kicker there. I don't know. I'll admit, I don't know why he's freezing a kicker on an over 50 yard attempt. I wouldn't want a kicker to have two shots at that, uh, a long field goal like that. I think the longer the field goal, you know, the less chances you want to give them, but um, uh, it's bad luck. But we just focus on this Liberty team. Yeah. And it's look, they, they played coastal Carolina the last week of the season and we're shaping up to have a fun game the last week of the season. And Liberty is an independent, obviously in coastal Carolina's uh in the Sun Belt, but these could be potentially two ranked undefeated teams, maybe ranked close to the top 15. Uh, it, it would be a fun football game. I would be all in. I'll probably be all in when these two teams play, even if one of them find a way to lose a game, but I'd say great one for Liberty, you know, a great season for them so far and obviously looking to keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. UNC gets a, gets a good win this week. Beat Duke 56, 24. You talked about Texas beating West Virginia 17, 13 and, uh, 
really surprisingly low-scoring game. I mean, we knew it was good. West, Virginia, West Virginia had a good defense, but a really low-scoring game for the Big 12. And like you said, what, maybe a game West Virginia deserves to win, but Texas uh, pulls it out. SMU beats Temple 47-23, and Memphis beats USF 34-33. USF uh, South Florida Bulls are one and six on the season, so it's kind of rough for them. Memphis gets a gets a well-needed win there, and we obviously talked about Indiana beating Michigan. So let's talk about Iowa 49, Michigan State 7. And we knew Iowa was, you know, kind of ready for a win. They kind of deserved one. They played good football. They lost 20-24 to versus Purdue in a game they looked all right in. And then a game against Northwestern, they lose 21-20, and they played pretty well in that game as well. And they were ready for, you know, a bounce back game and to get a win. And they got it here against a Michigan state team that we were wondering, how are they going to respond to a big win against Michigan? And maybe we found out Michigan's just not that good, but, but this was a surprising scoreline to see Iowa, you know, with their new QB kind of new offense here to put up this many points, especially against a good defense and a great win for Iowa. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, the, the Vegas, this line is open at minus seven. Probably kind of a Vegas knows something line, and Vegas is expecting Iowa to really bounce back in this game. But I mean, this was shocking. This is complete domination. I kind of mentioned earlier how Rocky Lombardi and this Michigan Michigan State offense looked completely lost. Uh, you know, Rocky Lombardi had okay stats, threw for 227 yards, but three picks. Uh, I think one pick was in the end zone too, as well. So just can never really get it going. And then Iowa just completely, you know. The offense looked great. Spencer Petras went 15-27, only 167 yards and one touchdown. Uh, but they ran the ball for 226 yards, really efficient as well. Um, uh, just a really efficient offense. You know, took advantage of those three turnovers and just complete domination. I mean, that's that's really the that's really the only word that comes out of this game. They just it looked like a varsity team playing a freshman team in Thursday practice. Uh, that's really what this felt like. Iowa was just better at every position and every phase of the game, uh, and Michigan State had no shot. Northwestern 21, Nebraska 13, and a bit of a deceiving scoreline. Nebraska outgains Northwestern, but this is kind of just what Northwestern does. They play sloppy games. This is what they did before last year when they had a bad season. They always played good defense. They'd get in these sloppy games. They would maybe get outgained, but in close games, they have that good culture. They have a good coach with Pat Fitzgerald. They usually find a way to win these kind of games, and we've seen them do that so far this year. They obviously blew out Maryland and looked really good, but Last week, they pull out the 21-20 win against Iowa, who we just talked about. This week, they pull out this game where they're outgained, and Adrian Martinez, you know, has a big game on the ground, but they neutralize him through the air, and Northwestern's now 3-0 and and kind of in the driver's seat in the Big Ten West. Absolutely, and uh, if Wisconsin plays this week, they can still be eligible if all their games go off to be in the Big Ten championship game, but you have to think that if Wisconsin somehow doesn't, you know, qualify, Northwestern's the favorite alongside with maybe Purdue. Uh, and they certainly deserve it. They looked really good in their three games. This is probably their toughest test. Actually, Iowa was really tough last week, but this is a tough game, even though Nebraska's 0-2. They had their loss to Ohio State, and this is a, a good Nebraska team, and Nebraska team that probably played better on the day. You know, like you mentioned, they outgained Northwestern 442 to 317, but I'd say Northwestern, and they play that zone defense, and they love to just play that bend-don't-break defense, uh, and it worked really well in this game. Held, held Nebraska to one of six in the red zone, and look, I we, we got to keep moving. We got to keep moving on all these teams games. But I, I'm really starting to worry. I'm really starting to wonder if a quarterback change is coming in this game. Luke McCaffrey for Nebraska. Luke McCaffrey was in the last two drives of the game, and he had the better stats on the day than Adrian Martinez. I, I wonder if Scott Frost is going to look to go to Luke McCaffrey um, starting starting next week and, and moving on. 
USC 28, Arizona State 27. Herm Edwards and Arizona State really gave this game away. They had a 99.8% chance to win this game late on with like three minutes left. USC gets a crazy touchdown just to go down six late in the game. On the fourth and six, they throw a – basically, Keaton just throws a prayer up in the air. It gets tipped right to one of their players in the end zone who just falls in his lap. They get that touchdown. Then they had an onside kick, and I don't know, it just kind of felt like the Arizona State, Arizona State players, like, kind of had a mental lapse. They kind of forgot to go for the ball. Uh, USC recovered it. Marched down the field, actually score really quick, and almost give Arizona – stay too much time but but they stop them on downs and that's a huge win for USC early on in the season you know it would have been really demoralizing to lose this game and to, to come out victors I think could maybe you know this was a good knock the rust off game and to come out victors here it can maybe really propel them you know forward in a good, into a good year absolutely uh, look USC did not deserve to win this game let's put that out there Arizona State was better through 57 minutes of the game, and then you're right, they just completely gave it away those last three minutes. Uh, credit USC and, and Clay Slovis for, for mounting that incredible comeback. They still had to score those touchdowns, but it was just one of those crazy, you know, end-of-the-game scenarios, and it was the classic, you know, touchdown, onside kick recovery touchdown, and, you know, this is a game that Arizona State was better in. They deserved to win, and, you know, I, I have questions about USC moving forward, you know, if this team can – compete for Pac-12 title because nothing they showed me in this game uh, proves to me that they can compete for a Pac-12 title. But, you know, uh, they, they, they had 556 yards of total offense, you know, and they found a way to win. And in this COVID era, I, the way I kind of treat it, in, in this day and age, in 2020 with the COVID offseason, you know, just win your games. Just find a way to win your games. And, you know, if they can kind of use this and, pro and propel forward and, and get something rolling, we'll look back on this as a really big moment in the Pac-12. Yeah, just find a way to win your games, and especially the first game. You know, it's hard to get mad with how it happens as long as you get the win in that first game after these crazy off seasons. But Cincinnati 38, Houston 10, and Cincinnati just continues to dominate pretty good football teams. Houston's, I know they have a losing record, but they're not a bad football team. And Cincinnati, you know, is doing it the right way. I mean, this is how you get to the playoff if you're one of these teams. You play in the AAC or you play in the Mountain West where you got to play good teams. They played good teams. They played Army. They were ranked when they played them. They played SMU, who was ranked when they played them. They destroyed Memphis and Houston and South Florida and teams like that who are pretty good football teams. They're destroying teams. They're destroying everyone they play. They're looking good while they do it. They're playing good defense, too. And they have UCF, basically. That's the, you know, that's the big test. They go to UCF in two weeks. And if they can win that game and win out, They'll be 10-0 and with big wins against good teams, crushing wins against average teams, and even crushing some of the good teams. And this is a team that has a shot, in my opinion. Me too. I'm all aboard the Cincinnati hype train. I was skeptical to start the season, but this defense is impressive. I mean, the last three weeks they've played very competent offenses in SMU, Memphis, and Houston, and have held all those teams to less than two touchdowns. And their offense is becoming a really good complement. They've got a really good balance on offense with Desmond Ritter running and throwing the football. He had a terrific game, uh, 162 yards passing, 103 yards rushing. Jokas as well goes for 184. They just have such a good balance on offense, and then they just have such a good defense. And, look, they are blowing out teams in the sixth best conference. I think that is worthy of attention, and I hope the college football playoff committee gives Cincinnati a serious look if they keep doing what they've shown us the last three weeks. Oklahoma 62, Kansas 9, and 
yeah, <laughs> I mean, Oklahoma, their, their offense is starting to turn it on. They're starting to turn things around. And obviously Kansas is Kansas and Oklahoma, you can say has pretty much fully turned everything around since, since the way they started those first two games. Absolutely. Oklahoma is, is really starting to turn it on and they need help to get to the big 12 championship game still. But if they get that help, man, look out. I still think they're the, they're the favorite and the best team in the way that they're playing right now. Yeah. Maybe in any other year, it would have still maybe had a shot for the playoff if there wasn't all these good teams, but this year they, they don't. And they'll be kicking themselves for not, not playing better earlier on in the year. TCU 34, Texas Tech 18, uh, Minnesota 41, Illinois 14, Pittsburgh 41, Florida State 17, and then Oklahoma State 20, Kansas State 18. This is a big game for the Big 12 and who's going to get to the title game. And Oklahoma State, after a rough loss this past week you know they continue to not look great playing in a lot of close games but they keep getting the job done and you know they're five and one now so they're looking pretty good to get to the big 12 title game absolutely I mean I come from behind win where it was down 12 nothing at halftime had a huge third quarter to get to 13 12 up 20 to 12 and they gave up a late touchdown kind of just playing prevent keeping the team in front of them uh, and then held on to to win this game. But look, a really impressive performance from Oklahoma State. The offense still needs to figure it out. I mean, Spencer Sanders only throws for 108 yards in this game, uh, but the defense is still fantastic. The defense is playing really well. And look, they, they probably should have beat Texas. And I still think that if they play their A game, you know, they only have one loss, and that was to that Texas team, uh, Texas team that they dominated in terms of yardage uh, with how their defense plays. I still think that this is a team that, if they just keep finding a way to win, they can beat anybody else in the Big 12 on their best day. So I think it's uh, good to keep an eye on them moving forward. Texas A&M 48, South Carolina 3. And Texas a and is kind of in the weird spot where they maybe were feeling good about the playoffs and they, they still have reason to feel good about it. But with Florida playing the way they're playing and, and stuff like that, it's just tough because they're not going to be able to make the SEC championship game. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. And you know, that's, that's the issue of being in, you know, the division against Alabama. Actually, I would have loved to see this Texas A&M team. I think they just weren't quite ready to play Alabama in week two. But this is a team that's really starting to turn it on. And look, they are, take, they are handling the middle of the conference teams. And I think that's the sign of a, of a great team is handling your business. And, you know, they haven't been in a really a close game. They've, they've found a way to, to be comfortable the, this past couple of weeks against these middle-of-the-road SEC teams. And, that's what you want to see. I think that's part of being a great team in college football is handling those middle-of-the-road games. And so I'm sad. I'm disappointed that we didn't get to see Texas A&M against Alabama at this time. I think they just weren't quite ready in week two against Alabama. And obviously, they weren't ready to play that offense just yet uh, as well. So it's disappointing. And Texas A&M just in a weird spot because they're. I think they're in a great position to run the table. Uh, but they literally, unless Alabama loses two games, they're not going to the SEC championship game in. I'm sorry, Alabama's not losing two games. So Texas A&M's in a weird spot right now. Yeah, I mean, their best bet is probably, I guess their best bet is Notre Dame beats Clemson in the title game and Alabama beats Florida, right? Yeah, that has to be it. Because they would have the head-to-head on Florida. And their their hope is to be that fourth team that, you know, that the ACC has one clear team and that'd be Notre Dame winning again. The SEC, and you want, you want Alabama to run the table too because then your loss against Alabama continues to look good and then you're hoping for you know you're hoping for the Pac-12 to beat itself up the Big 12 to beat itself up which is looking like it does and look I still probably do think that the committee would put a one loss Texas A&M team in over 
a team like Cincinnati. But also at the same time, you know, Texas A&M would probably be that four seed and Alabama would be the one seed. And a lot of people are probably going to say, I'd rather see Alabama play Cincinnati, who they haven't played yet and is undefeated, than play a Texas A&M team for the second time this season in a game they already won. So we'll have to see. A lot of it goes into how the committee will evaluate these teams. But I could certainly see a scenario where the committee would value a one-loss Texas A&M team over an undefeated Cincinnati or an undefeated uh, BYU. Iowa State 38, Baylor 31, Colorado 48, UCLA 42, Arkansas 24, Tennessee 13. And man, it's kind of rough for Tennessee right now. Four straight losses after, you know, all the hype about them having eight straight SEC wins and just like that, four straight losses and not necessarily happening to these amazing teams. Yeah, they played Georgia and Alabama, but they also lost to Kentucky and Arkansas. And it's the SEC. Every team's good, but these are the kind of games that Jeremy Pruitt has to win. You know, I mean, this is still Tennessee. I know they've been rough for the past 10, 15, 20 years, but this is still a program with expectations that's recruiting at a top 10 level. And these are the kind of games you got to win. They're up 13-0 in this game, I believe, and completely gave it away. Arkansas rattles off 24 straight, and you just can't have that happen if you're Tennessee. And four straight losses, and I mean, I don't want to overreact, but maybe Jeremy Pruitt on the hot seat. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I think if you have the recruiting classes that he does, there is uh, maybe a little bit bigger of a grace period where you can maybe give him some time to, to work in those elite recruits. But look, the wheels are off at least. And the wheels are off on this season. They tried to do a quarterback change. They, they benched Jared Garantano after he went five of eight for just 42 yards. It got a little bit better with Harrison Bailey. He went six of nine for 65 yards. And then they also had Brian Marr, who, who he went 0-4 for, for obviously no yards. But as a team, only passing for 107 yards, that's just not good enough. And look, I know Arkansas has been better than expected this season. They picked up their third win, you know, 3-3 three and three on the season. Give some credit to Arkansas and to, to Felipe Franks, who had a pretty solid, pretty solid game as well. Uh, but look, you just you have to be better against an Arkansas football team if you want to be who Tennessee wants to be and who some people thought Tennessee had a chance to be coming into the season. So. Uh, this, the season's completely flipped on them. Ohio State 49, Rutgers 27. A game I haven't got to see that well since we were, you know, having a party for this game. But I think the biggest thing to take away from this game is, one, that Ohio State's defense is struggling a bit early on in the season. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And that's something you got to pay attention to for sure. And, you know, the running backs are starting to get together with Master Teague and Trey Sermon uh, combining for 128 yards here. So they're starting to look a little bit better. But, all that aside, all that negativity aside, maybe the one thing you have to take away is Justin Fields is absolutely flawless through three games. Another game where he just he barely ever misses. 24 of 28 for 314 yards, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. I mean, the guy is just flawless right now. Yeah, flawless right now. And look, Ohio State, I think, you know, their defense is not what they were last year. They don't have the corners they had last year. They don't have Chase Young. Um, but look, in the era of college football, you know, it might, sometimes it's just about outscoring the team next to you. And this offense and Justin Fields, it feels like they can outscore anybody right now. And he is just so efficient. The offensive line is so dominant. Again, I mean, that was a, a, a day when they ran for over 200 yards, passed for over 300 yards. I mean, that's a really good balanced attack. Uh, you know, it was Rutgers. I get that. But you're looking for that kind of balance and that kind of efficiency on offense. And another game where they're just, they're just so efficient on offense. It just kind of feels like if they ever find themselves in a game where they're up 14, it feels like if they ever get to a point where they're up 14, it's just their offense is so good and so efficient. It's, it's almost impossible to kind of 
play catch up with them and find a way to catch up when you come from behind. So, yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on this game because it was Rutgers. And look, honestly, it was up 35-3 at the half, and then they pretty much just kind of played Creven, and they didn't really look like they were that interested in the second half. So I don't want to look too much into it, and it also just wasn't a big game this week. But I think from a, from a, from Ohio State, from an offensive perspective, the team is just so good and so elite. And I, But it might be – their offense might have to be the ones that carry them moving forward. Oregon 35, Stanford 14, and – Oregon looked really good here, I thought. Watched some of the highlights, and, you know, this is going to be a fun team. It's a shame we don't get to see them play the full year with this team. Um, Tyler Tyler Show uh, played in this game, taking over for, you know, the good QB they had last year, and he looked pretty good. 17-26 for 227 yards. Nothing nothing flashy, but this is just a, a consistent team. They had a good offense that, that played well. They had a defense that made the plays and, you know, stopped Stanford from scoring a lot of points, and they kept it simple and looked good. And it, like I said, I mean, this is a team that I think will has a really good shot at winning all their games. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they do. And it's kind of a shame we don't get to see this team at least play like eight or nine games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's just sad also that we didn't we don't get to see the Pac-12 for a full season. That it's November seventh, and that was their they were kicking off to start their season. But look, Oregon is probably the one big hope for the college football playoff out of the back 12 and they're going to have to run the table because it's only six games. And they're going to have to look impressive doing it. And this is a good start. I think this is a Stanford team that I believe was considered to be somewhat of a dark horse this year, kind of getting back to what they have been in the Pac-12. And Oregon looked really solid in this game. I didn't get to watch any of it, um, so I can't read much into it. But, you know, a, a scoreline of 35-14, you know, they outgained them 496 to 413. That, that's pretty good as well. So it looked like a, and for a first game back, I think that's, this is the kind of performance you're looking for if you're an Oregon fan. Finally, Coastal Carolina 23, South Alabama 6. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Coastal Carolina 7-0. They've got some good, good wins against, you know, the likes of Louisiana, Georgia Southern. They beat Kansas. So this is a good football team. And I don't know. I'm just, you know, it's, it's a shame we don't live in a world where this team would have a shot to play a decent team and just see what happens. I know they'd probably get their, their doors blown off, but I'd still love to see them have the shot, but we've kind of belabored that point enough. So I'm ready to move on to the AP if you are. Yep. All right. Um, let's just give you, let's see, what, what do I want to do the cutoff? We'll give you the top six. Eh, well, let's just, yeah, I don't know. I'll just give you some notables. Uh, Liberty is all the way up to 22, the highest ranking in their history. Louisiana jumps back in at 25 there, you know, after that loss to Coastal Carolina, they kind of dropped down, but now they're all the way back to 25, uh, six and one of the year. USC is 20 after their comeback win. Oklahoma's all the way back up to 18. Iowa State's at 17. Marshall is another team that we kind of forgot to mention. Uh, they're 6-0, another one of those non-Power 5 teams that's undefeated. They're at 16. Coastal Carolina, who we just talked about, is at 15. Uh, Indiana is in the top 10 in the AP for the first time in a while. BYU at eight, Cincinnati at seven, Florida at six, Texas A&M at five, Clemson all the way down to four with Ohio State at three, Notre Dame at two, and Alabama at one. Any thoughts from that, or do you just want to give us your top 10? That really kind of jumped out to me. I think Georgia took a pretty good tumble, and I think it was well-deserved um, okay. all the way down to 12. I think the way they looked in that game, not the fact that they just lost. I do respect the fact that Texas A&M is ahead of Florida at five and Florida's down at six. I know Florida looked so great last week, and I think it would have been easy for people to put Florida up at five or maybe even four. Um, 
I like the fact that, that the AP voters respected the head-to-head. All right. Uh, give us your number 10. All right, my number 10 is the Indiana Hoosiers. I think that, you know, I don't know if they're a top 10 team, but I think resume-wise, why not? Two good wins against Penn State and Indiana and Michigan. I think those are two really solid wins to have on the have on the resume. So I think they deserve to be in the top ten. Same team I had ten last week, Coastal Carolina. All right, number nine, I have Wisconsin. And look, I know they haven't played for a couple of weeks. I don't want to drop them without without them really playing um, or without losing. I guess is what I meant to say, but. And they looked really good. I'm starting to think that maybe it was maybe a little bit more about them playing Illinois. I'm curious to see how they look this week against Michigan, uh, especially coming off all the rust without having played for three weeks. I'm really curious to see how they look in this game. And I think it'll be – we'll be able to evaluate and judge them much better. But for at least one more week, I'm going I'm to keep them in nine. Number nine, I have Indiana. I still want to see more from this team before I start overreacting way too much and really start moving them up. You know, I, I don't know if they've beaten anyone who I think is going to be a really good football team this year, but still, they've proven to me they at least deserve to be in this top ten. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Number eight, I have the BYU. I have BYU. Um, what is their mascot? I was going to say the BYU something. Cougars, BYU Cougars. Uh, undefeated, looking good. Eight, no, they played eight games already. That's, that's insane. Um, but look, they're undefeated. Uh, the way they're playing, they deserve to be up there. So I'm at eight. Um, oh, where do I want to go with this? Yeah, I think I have B, BYU at eight. You know, I, I think I have these SEC teams above them. And maybe the way I don't have uh, them above Cincinnati, just because Cincinnati has a bit more of a resume. I know BYU's beaten two pretty decent teams, but we don't really know what Boise State's going to be. And besides that, BYU has played really bad football teams. Unlike Cincinnati, who hasn't you know, played any amazing football team, but there's week in, week out, destroying pretty good football teams. So I really respect that. So yeah, I'd be why you date though. All right. Number seven, I do have Cincinnati. I'm, I was inclined to move them up further. And I think they have the resume and the results to match up with most of these teams that are ahead of them. I just still think that right now, I truly don't think that they are. I, I think without a shadow of a doubt, I think these top six teams are all better than Cincinnati. So that's why I still keep them down at number seven. Number seven, I have Florida. Um, I'm going to have Cincinnati above these next two teams and uh, Florida beat Texas A&M, or Texas A&M beat Florida. So. All right. And number six, I have Clemson all the way down to number six. And look, this is, this is a loss against Notre Dame that wasn't just a loss of not having Trevor Lawrence. This was a signal to me that, that Clemson is vulnerable this year. This is not the untouchable Clemson that we've seen the last two years, really, in, uh, in the two years that they made it to the college football playoff national championship game. I think this team has some holes. I think that they are not very dynamic on offense. They've struggled to get Travis Etienne going against better teams. And I don't think that their defense is elite as it's been in the past. And I also think that the other teams have some better wins than Clemson does this year. So that's why I'm them all the way down at number six. At number six, I have Texas A&M. You know, I'm still discouraged by their loss because – it's hard to let a football team like that into the playoff when, you know, they've already kind of played their, you know, quote unquote playoff play in game and they, they lost it so badly, but it was early on in the year. So I'm willing to give them a pass and they beat Florida. Who's a really good team. So I'm interested to see what this team can do and maybe they'll get a shot at the playoffs. Maybe not, but I have them here at number six. All right. And number five, I have the Florida Gators just with you. They really impressed me 
against Georgia. I know that they had a bad – I thought it was a bad loss in just terms I think they should have won that game against Texas A&M, and the defense struggled early. But I think the defense is getting better, and it's just – it's a defense that's good enough to complement what is just an elite offense. So I got Florida at five. At number five, I got Clemson. Okay, wow. A tough, tough fellow this week. Like you said, I mean, I think this is indicative of who they are. I think their defense has some holes especially at the defensive uh, line, you know, not getting a ton of push there. We saw what Notre Dame was able to do to this team, able to rack up the, the running yards. And even Ian Book was able to poke some holes in this, the secondary. And we obviously saw that, you know, I, I mean, the offense is still there. I, you'd like to see them be more explosive, especially have some wide receiver, wide receiver playmakers, but this is a team that has holes. And until they prove it to me against a good team, I'm going to have them here at number five. All right. And number four, I have, Texas A&M, uh, look, they're, they're looking good, better and better every week. They get the compliment of being ahead of Florida to do that head-to-head, and they have, they have the best loss of any of these other teams uh, on, uh, of all the other one-loss teams in my ranking. So I have them up there at number four. Number four, I have the Cincinnati Bearcats. Uh, what can I say, man? Six to no, beating teams convincingly. They haven't even played a close game this year. They haven't played a bad football team this year either. They're – week in, week out, playing decent football teams and, and blowing them out. And they've even played SMU and Army, who were ranked, and Memphis last week, who was probably right on the edge of being ranked. So I know they haven't beaten, like, a top-10 team yet, and we may never see them play a top-10 team this year. You never know. But I'm, I'm impressed with what I've seen. Yeah, me too as well. I think they are worthy of, of that ranking. I'm not mad at it. And number three, keep them moving. I have Ohio State. They just don't have the wins that the top two teams have. And I do think they have some things to work out on their defense, but that offense is just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I think my initial reaction was, you know, Notre Dame was going to be here at three, but then I, like you, I, I put them at two because I remembered that Ohio State really hasn't beaten anyone yet. And Notre Dame, I guess, yeah, I mean, Penn State's obviously now really bad. So Ohio State hasn't beaten anyone and Notre Dame just beat Clemson, who, who was number one before during this game and they played some other decent teams and, you know, they've been playing ACC teams week in and week out, which is worth, worth something in their seven and oh. So it looked really good. Um, that's why I have a high state at three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Number two, I also have Notre Dame, obviously probably the best win of any of these teams. They, I think they have a, a decent argument to be number one, just based off, off resume and who they've beaten on paper. Hey, look, it's a team that's just it's playing better every week. They're just getting better every, every week. That offense is really starting to figure out. They've become really explosive. And that defense is still really solid. So I think Notre Dame's deserving to be there at number two. Yeah, I have Notre Dame at two as well. I don't disagree. I mean, I thought about them at one just because they have the best win of anyone in college football. But, I, I mean, you still, as much as we talk about DJ being good, you still have to take Trevor Lawrence not being there into the equation somewhat they were at home too and it, it was just one game you never know they might have really really stepped up for this one game it might have been Ian Book's biggest game of his college career you just never know in Alabama they have this history and I know you're only supposed to base it off just this year but they have that history and they've beaten some good teams too obviously beating Texas A&M who's all the way up at number five so they have a really consistent resume blowing out pretty good teams Alabama does you know uh, they blew out in Texas A&M, who's at number five. So I do have Alabama at one and Notre Dame at number two. And, but yeah, I mean, Alabama overwhelmingly got the number one votes this this week. They got 59 first-place votes. Notre Dame get two. Ohio State gets one. And Clemson gets zero. So 
overwhelmingly Alabama was the number one team, and I have Alabama at one, Notre Dame at two. Yep, I also have Alabama at one. Just I think through, what is it, nine, ten weeks now in the college football season, they've looked like the best team. They've looked fantastic. Uh, offense, defense, even without Jalen Waddle, that offense is humming. Mac Jones, I think, I think he's got, in my opinion, he's the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy this year, uh, and it's deserving too. He's not like the Jake Coker of just, you know, the, the game manager. He is a, I think he's starting to become a difference maker at that quarterback position, the, the way he throws the football. And I think it's just, it's a team that their defenses get playing better. And I think they've just looked like the best team so far this year in college football. So I'm number one. An early look at next week. And I'll tell you what, it's a little barren. Um, you have Alabama LSU, which would have been the big, big game, but we've seen what LSU has turned out to be. And maybe LSU can make a game of it and make it fun. That will be airing right after um, the third round of the Masters, which will be fun, I think, on CBS at 6 p.m. that game is. So I'm looking forward to just a full day of – full weekend of football and the Masters and stuff like that. But the week itself, I mean, when you look at the top 25, you have Cincinnati taking on Eastern Carolina. They should win that game comfortably. Ohio State plays Maryland. We just saw what Maryland did, but you'd expect Ohio State to go on the road and look look comfortable. Miami, Virginia Tech could be a fun game. Virginia Tech are now up to minus two and a half, which is a interesting line. Not even interesting. It's, it's very Vegas knows something. Georgia takes on Missouri. I wouldn't be surprised if Missouri put up a fight there. Coastal Carolina plays Troy. Liberty plays Western Carolina. They'll destroy them. Uh, Indiana, Michigan State. I mean, Notre Dame, Boston College, Texas A&M, Tennessee, USC, Arizona. Alabama, LSU. Arkansas, Florida could be fun. We could see if Arkansas puts up a fight. Wisconsin-Michigan I think will be fun if the game goes forward Northwestern-Purdue but it's just really not a great week. No it's it's a it's a little more kind of on the on the soft side not a lot of you know big time matchups but I think there's obviously as, as college football it, I think you know what college football has taught us is that the week that never looks good on paper ends up being the week that we talk about at the end of the season or the week that has a couple crazy results so keep your eye out for it it's another fun week got a lot of interesting matchups and it's the second week for the Pac-12, so I think it's, it'll be fun to learn more about these teams and what we're kind of we're going to expect from them this season. So uh, I'll be dialed in as always. I don't want to put any pressure on you, but do you have any early locks? Um, I took – I texted you. I have Virginia Tech at minus one and a half against Miami. That just screams a Vegas knows something line. I want to jump on Wisconsin minus one and a half against Michigan, but I'm going to stay away from it from now. And I also want to jump on – Alabama minus 24 against LSU. So those are lines that I'm thinking about. Um, um, but, I, but I think that I feel like because it's a rivalry game, that LSU line might shrink as we move later into the week. So I'm going to stay off it for now. I want to take Ohio State minus 25. I know Maryland looked good. I know Ohio State kind of struggled down the stretch and only won by 22 against Rutgers. But I don't know. It just doesn't feel like enough points for me. If you're just telling me Ohio State with this amazing offense only needs to go out and win this game by four touchdowns, I know there's plenty of scenarios, probably 40% of the time that doesn't happen, and they, they kind of mess around and only win this game by two or three touchdowns. But in, in my head when I play out this, this football game, most of the time I see Ohio State running over Maryland and winning this game easily. So right. I think at that kind of number, I like it. So I'll lock in Ohio State minus 25. All right. You got anything else you want to lock in? I'm just looking at the top 25 games right now. I don't see anything else that's that promising. Uh, maybe Texas A&M minus 12 and a half versus Tennessee. I'm just really down on the balls right now, but they're at home. It's, you know, 330 big game, so they might get up for it. So I don't know, but 
yeah, there's nothing else I really see. I think that's the only one I'll be locking up on a Sunday night. All right, sounds good to me. Any other broad takeaways or anything else you want to get out, get off your chest? No, nothing. Well, I have a lot of things I want to get off my chest. Just kidding. Um, but not about college football. Uh, no, no. Um, it was a fun week, but I think really the the overarching point, the theme that we're really trying to get at is this is shaping up to be an absolute mess when it comes to trying to pick four teams to play in the college football playoff, and I am completely here for it. Yeah, there's eight really, really good teams right now that have a case, and even beyond that, I mean, there's still, you know, don't forget about Oregon, don't forget about Wisconsin, don't forget about Indiana, who are all undefeated, and if they somehow did win out, they would have good cases too. So, I mean, there's, you know, seven to 12 football teams here that are really good, and college football is a sport we always talk about. It, It feels like, especially the last four or five years, there's always two or three teams, and everybody else is just meh but I mean this year it's actually a lot of fun I mean there still is your very clear dynamic of these top three four teams that are really good and a bit of a drop-off but like we said Texas A&M and Florida are really good now you have these fun teams like Cincinnati BYU Coastal Carolina Marshall and Liberty who are all undefeated in the non-power five and Miami has stepped it up this year and Indiana has stepped it up and Wisconsin looks like they're going to be good and Oklahoma State stepped their game up and Iowa State's looking good and it's just a lot of fun teams this year and college football is, you know, I mean, I think it's been a fun year. Yeah. It's been a fun year. I've enjoyed it. I have said from the beginning, embrace the madness, embrace the craziness. Don't try and understand it. Just enjoy it. That was JT Yershowski. I'm Jacob Wilson. Thank you for listening to two guys, one mic.